In the holy name of Jesus, amen. Part of the job of a pastor is walking people through tragedy. And if this isn't hard enough, while we lead people through tragedy, we often have to deal with friends of those who are also going through the tragedy. And sometimes these friends have their own agenda, often to show support of their friends. And usually they are interested in finding out why did this happen and who is to blame. I met a woman who had a friend whose father was dying and was in hospice for about a week. After giving last rites, I find out this woman felt the man's death was one of needless suffering. Then she said, well, when I get to heaven, God and me, we're going to have a sit down. Because I got some questions for him. She believed in God. But she really couldn't follow along. Because God didn't fit into her idea of what he should be like. So today we have these people coming up to Jesus, telling him news of this horrific tragedy. Pilate has killed some Galileans and actually taken their blood and mixed it in with the sacrifices, which is terrible. Why are they telling him this? We're actually not really told, but it could be for two reasons. The first one we kind of get from the gospel reading itself to find out if these Galileans are really bad people and they deserved that kind of death. But the other reason could have been to get Jesus to condemn Pilate as a terrible, tyrannical, awful ruler. Of course, Jesus doesn't really play along, does he? He knows answering either perspective won't bring any good because it will rather just simply provide excuses for them to keep on living in their self-righteousness. And this is what I mean, because if he actually answered yes to either, yeah, they were terrible people, and this is what happens to terrible sinners, or yes, Pilate was an awful, terrible ruler, that would actually provide these people to go home secure in their own self-righteousness, where they could say, Boy, I'm glad I'm not like those people. Or B, I'm glad I'm part of the cause to undermine and destroy Pilate. See, Jesus cuts to the chase this morning and says, this story has nothing to do with what you're thinking. I'm not going to blame anyone so that you can create excuses to keep on living securely and feeling justified for your views. The Galileans are dead. That's horrible. And Pilate's not here, but the only person who is here is, in fact, you. Let's talk about you. You need to repent, because someday you too will die. So this woman I, I spoke with came up came up to me with this kind of perspective that God actually owed her something. You see, there is this tendency, though, to see the world through our own experiences, which is our, our own kind of boxes. 
And if God doesn't fit into it or life doesn't go as planned, plans are boxes, actually. And if people don't behave the way we want them, well, then we just usually blame everything. We blame God, we blame our position in life, or we blame others. What's interesting is I find this type of thinking in people who actually support very righteous, good causes, ones that I actually agree with. They mistake their support of this righteous cause with their own righteousness. Thinking that if the cause is righteous, well, they must be righteous, and if they're righteous, then they're above questioning or admonishment. And if you, in fact, do question them, then you're part of the problem, part of those to blame. You see, Jesus saves us from this sort of thinking, because what we don't understand is that when we bring a hammer down on others, that hammer actually is hovering over us. So this woman who shared her questions, which really actually had nothing to do with her, but with her friend's father and other situations in life. If you boil them down, they kind of came down to these two questions, which are, are sort of the same, but different emphasis. The first one was, uh, why did God let this happen? And the second one was, well, how come God didn't do anything? I responded to her this way. I said, I understand that you have questions for God. But those two questions that you just asked are probably my greatest fear. Because I'm afraid of, I'm afraid of, uh, of God asking me the same questions. And then things clicked in her mind. You see, the fig tree, the parable of the fig tree, the second half of the gospel reading, actually shows us an image of what this means. The owner plants a fig tree in a vineyard, not a, a, a grove of fig trees, which means that it's planted in a place where things grow. It's fertile land. In a sense that this fig tree has every opportunity to be what God created it to be. But after three years, absolutely nothing. So when the owner comes to the fig tree on this third year, it's sort of like him saying, tree, why didn't you do anything? Tree, how could you let this happen? I've given you good soil, water, fertilizer, and plenty of time. What gives? See, the blame game is very dangerous. And, and the woman I spoke with found out that her position in life wasn't as secure as she thought it was. Did she let things happen that she should have stopped from happening? Or did she do something when she should not have done something? She realized at that moment that she wasn't so righteous and she realized she couldn't always blame God or others for what happened in her life. But she needed to repent too. Of course, this is the very moment, though, where the vine dresser, Jesus Christ, comes into the story and says, 
Listen, I, I know this tree hasn't produced for three years, but let's let it alone for one more year. And let it alone actually can be more literally translated as let's forgive it for one more year. This is what I'll do. I'll dig around and I'll throw some manure, which is exactly what it is, animal poop on the roots, and we'll give it one more year, and we'll see what happens. See, Jesus is the vine dresser who always holds out for hope in your life, even when it looks like things won't change and tragedies all around. He is the one who's doing something to make things right. But that's actually hard to take for us. See, Jesus admonishing you out of the blame game this morning or digging around and putting some manure on your self-righteousness isn't easy to receive, especially if you really believe you are right. But repentance, though, that Jesus petitions us today means acknowledging that you actually don't have things together. And you need to change. And at that moment, perhaps things actually will. See, what at first appears difficult ends up being merciful. So Jesus shows mercy this morning by admonishing you, which is kind of offensive, digging around in your self-righteousness, which actually hurts, and then actually putting something that stinks in your life, hoping that the excuses will actually stop. And you will actually do something positive. Bear fruit, rather than continue to blame everybody else around you. Now this woman, after things clicked for her, was quite surprised. She thought she had me agreeing with her. But she realized at that moment she couldn't stay put anymore. She needed to repent. And that's the moment I left the conversation. So I don't know what happened. She might have. She might be still thinking about it. But she knows what needs to be done. And here's the thing. I understand completely this woman's perspective. I've been there myself. I understand that you can go through life finding reasons not to believe. But for all the effort of finding reasons not to believe, you will actually be overlooking all the things that the vine dresser are, is doing for you. Here in the church, our Lord Jesus Christ is giving you everything you need to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. He gives us the water of baptism, the soil of his holy word, and the food of the Holy Eucharist. That is what we need, and that is what Jesus gives. So today is the day. Christ has spoken to you, and let us rejoice in living a life of repentance so that when the world who needs the fruit of hope may actually come to us and find it. In the holy name of Jesus, amen.